Hey guys, uh, sorry, no intro music today. I'm home for the holidays and left that behind uh, on my home computer. But, happy holidays, thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year in a couple days. A reminder, the Just Hands Poker Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Solve for Why. Solve for Why is a unique poker coaching experience from high-stakes pros Matt Berkey, Christian Soto, Jordan Young, and now Zach and myself. Solve for Why is the only poker training camp that teaches live poker strategy. Solve for Why turns conventional poker wisdom on its head by providing students with a unique poker philosophy, utilizing real-time analytics, emphasizing psychology and personal interaction, and recording and reviewing students' play using RFID technology. The Solve for Why Advanced Poker Training Academy delivers a framework to think and act differently. Solve for Why is poker evolved. To learn more, head to solveforwhyacademy.com or use the link in the show notes. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Zach. Hey there, Jack. How you doing, man? Great. We got a listener hand today. Hell yeah. Yeah, this one's from Home Game in Maine. Uh, it's our first first hand submitted from Maine. Thank you for the submission. Uh, our our correspondent, and you know, as you guys know, we tend to read exactly what you write to us, so... Uh, when you write us nice, long, uh, and interesting descriptions, that you know that makes you a lot more likely to get read right on the air. So thank you for the effort here, and let's get into it. Our correspondent writes, Hey, fellas. I'm sure you're deep in post-event work from your NYC weekend. I'm looking forward to heading to the West Coast. But keep this hand in your queue for later, as it covers a segment of the game that you guys seldom discuss on your podcast. Talking to your opponents in heads-up play. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's 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 funny he writes that just because I I played with some like high school friends last night for the first time like since high school and there's a lot of talking. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about this a lot. In the home games I play in New York, I, I rarely ever do this since I think like it's not the right look for me in those oh, games. Oh no, not not in that game. Yeah. The time I I mostly talk to people is just like if I have a Bluff catching decision on the river. I'll normally talk to people. But you're not going to like be the aggressor and like try to manipulate people into like folding their call. No, rarely. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things about playing poker. But I, I, it's not a good look for a lot of games. And you you have to know your opponents. You know, some people like really love just like all the banter. A lot of people feel kind of like pressured when that happens. And you know, yeah, I would just say that I'm the aggressor like about ninety percent of the time. And so I normally just like <laughs> stare at the pot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, also, I, w- I would imagine like the guys like you're playing in your, in your home game in with like, if they're going to have like an edge on you, it might be in just like reading you Kyle, in those like yeah. situations, you know, like, like seasoned finance dudes. Yeah. If they were to Maybe. have an edge, that's the if. That's all I'm saying. But I don't, I don't, I just like, you know, I haven't worked on that very much. I don't feel like that's a strength of mine. So I, so I don't tend to do it. I know you do it a lot. Uh, I think that's awesome. But yeah, let's talk about it some here. So he writes, in this hand, I'm interested in knowing not only about my street to street decisions, but also about the talk that went on after the last bet, last bet went in and whether you guys think it had an impact on the result or whether it was better to shut the fuck up. Uh, And our correspondent wrote STFU, being polite. Uh, That was me, who decided to read it like it is, per se. 
I think we have the explicit tab marked. And if not, sorry, if your kids are listening to this, probably shouldn't let them listen to like a gambling podcast anyway. (laughs) Anyways, uh, he goes on. In general, I don't talk when I'm in a hand for fear of, for fear of something, I guess. Uh, He doesn't say what. After I act, I usually stare at the chips in the center of the table or look at my opponents for reads, but I don't talk. I consider this sound strategy as I'm not very skilled at manipulating people with speech, though I am married, so I convinced someone of something at one point. Uh, <laughs> this guy's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of my feeling too. You know, I don't think that like that's my strength, so I just don't even – I don't partake. So before diving into the hand, I thought you might want to know more about the Ubersoft main poker scene. And of course I'd like to know about the Ubersoft main poker scene. Uh, main is the only state with one syllable. Is that true? Wow. It's also the only state that borders just one other state. It also has one legit place to play poker, the Hollywood Casino in Bangor, which is far out of the way of Maine's biggest center of the population in the southern part of the state. Hollywood is known for high rake, and generally speaking, most of the people I know don't like to play there. As a result of this and the fairly high demand for poker and gambling in our state, there's a thriving underground scene. In my part of the state, there's a player pool of roughly 50 to 70 people, enough to have kept some of these games going for years on end. These games are exceptionally soft, easy to get into if you know someone, and profitable if you adjust in the right ways. And yeah, I think like uh, anytime the scene gets pushed underground, the games tend to benefit in terms of skill. Not always in terms of overall profitability because rate can be really bad. But yeah, basically any underground situation I've ever been in has been awesome. Yeah, and I, and I think also a lot of that is like, you know, all of these like weak, tight, like like nitty regulars like the underground scene is just like not not for them you know yeah. like even if you don't necessarily get like kicked out after a session like you're not going to feel welcome like being a nit like you are at a casino you know yeah also if you're a poker nit you might be more of a nit about like doing something illegal it's it's not necessarily sure. illegal for players but yeah you know i think that correlates anyway yeah he goes on the standard main underground game plays loose passive preflop but rather than tightening up post-flop, as many low-limit games do, games in main tend to tighten up only slightly post-flop. This hand takes place at such a game. The table is 10-handed, 1-2 no limit, 3-hour retirees, and the rest are all working stiffs at various working stiff life stages with a night off. I am well known to most players seated as this is my weekly game. My image is moderately aggressive, tight, but not squeaky and brainy. I'm a winning player at this game, and I think that the others are aware of this, but I am by no means crushing it. I eke out an 8.4 big blind per hour win rate here. Thanks, Just Hands. And that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a win rate to be proud of. I mean, you know, at one, two, it's not going to, you know, add up that quickly. But, you know, it, I, I wouldn't say you're not crushing the game. I think a good goal at one, two is like 20 bigs an hour. I think you can win for more. But I think 20 bigs is like, you know, you know you're doing really well at one, two for 20 bigs an hour. Yeah. Okay. The relevant villain in the hand is a player type I find to be quite difficult to play against. He's passive and plays wide ranges from any position pre. No problem there, but he's also one of the stickiest players in the pool and very difficult to range accurately on most streets. I think that he considers reading other players a skill of his, leading to said stickiness. He probably overestimates his ability in this regard. He's capable of playing position well and absorbing aggression with lock hands to win big pots and trying to bluff him is usually a mistake. I don't think he's a winning player. However, as said stickiness works both ways. 
He works in logistics or shipping. He'll sometimes take a work call at the table, I think mostly for show. He's probably decent with numbers. He's usually decked out in baby blue Detroit Lions gear. Quite odd for these parts where the easy choice is to root for one of the best NFL franchises of all time. Uh, and I won't mention that franchise's name uh, because I don't want to. Okay. Okay. So Hero is under the gun plus two with Ace of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds. The effective stack is $180. Villain is on the button. So he's probably not going to fold if we raise. <laughs> Folds to Hero, who chooses to raise to 12 and gets three callers. Uh, this is a raise size sizing that will sometimes get six callers and sometimes just get one. Three betting is rare in this game. There is no light three betting, so that's good. Uh, anyone who three bets has queens plus. Uh, so if I get re-raised here, it's an easy fold. On the other hand, because the gameplay is passive, it's easy for someone to smooth call from any position with a hand like ace-king. So opening and playing a hand like ace-jack suited from early position needs to be done very carefully. And I think that's a really good observation. I think that's like a big shocker for a lot of players like who come from maybe like an online background and then start playing in 1-2 games. Just like huh. people flatting ace-king pre-flop. Um, yeah. It's kind of a be a little bit of a kick in the head if you're not if you're not aware that that kind of thing is happening. Yeah. In thinking about the raise size, I think twelve was a bad choice. There were two better choices. Raising to seven or eight would have gotten five or six colors, but a hand like Ace Jack suited has not only good absolute strength but can also flop well multi way. Yes, this raise sizing makes ranging my opponents more difficult. But I'm not trying to get it all in with one pair here. The other option would have been raising something like twenty, getting one to two colors with hopefully more defined ranges and relying more on the absolute strength of my hand, which is probably not as absolutely strong for his players just calling the sizing. It's a difficult hand to play out of position either way. Let's stop and talk about that for a second. What, what, what are your thoughts on that statement, that rather than raise to 12, he should have raised to 7 or 8 or 20? Yeah, I think it just it's, it seems pretty results-oriented to me. Like, it, it's going to be a hand that is harder than other hands in your range to play out of position in this lineup, but you're still missing out on a lot of expected value by not raising. Maybe you could raise a little bit bigger if you think you're going to get value from from worse by maybe making it 15, which I imagine is likely the case just based on playing, you know, in similar games. But yeah, I think I think 7 or 8 or 20 is just kind of being like I either wanted to take it down or I wanted to not risk as much because it's a hard hand to play versus kind of accepting that, you know, there's going to be some hard hands to play and it's just most important to get value even if it's a little bit high variance. Yeah, I think the mistake here was that you raised to 12, you got three callers, and you're extrapolating that if you had raised to 20, you would have only gotten one or two callers, and if you had raised seven or eight, you'd have gotten five to six callers. And I think that's just not really how poker works. Sure, I think you get more callers on average if you raise seven or eight, and you get f- maybe fewer callers on average if you raise to 20, but I think it's not at all clear that you would have gotten more callers by raising smaller in this instance or less callers by raising bigger in this instance. So I think I would choose a preflop raise size that you feel like thins the field for the most part, but still gets called by a lot of dominated hands and just stick with that from probably most positions and with most hands uh, and not vary it too much. And I think 12 is fine. I think 15 is fine. And yeah, if you get, Called by a lot of worse hands, like on the on the one hand, you're not going to win the pot the majority of the time, but when you do, you're going to win a much larger pot. And so I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I, would, I think 12 is fine, and 
you know, I wouldn't feel like you should have done something different based on the amount of callers you got this time. Yeah. So we see a flop of $51, rainbow. And Hero writes, I think this is a flop that favors my range versus three other players. Okay. Let's stop and, let's stop and chat about that. So the only hands that you have that your opponents don't have based on like what we've said about pre-flop play are aces through queens, right? And I think like you definitely might have limped fours and threes, you know, just based on how you were talking about pre-flop. I think that's kind of likely. So I wouldn't, I would not say that this is a flop that favors your range. I also, I actually think your opponents are more likely to have 10 X than you are. I think they're probably playing too much 10 X and maybe uh, you're playing a more appropriate amount of 10 X, especially from early position. So I don't see this as a, a board that favors your range. Do you, what do you think, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I, yeah, not, not much to add. Yeah. So he writes that betting will get 5-6 and ace-deuce to continue. Uh, it might fold out hands like 5-7s through sevens in a random Broadway hands without a 10. But who might have some equity or even be ahead here, like king-queen or ace-queen. King-queen wouldn't be ahead, but they both those hands have good equity. So I think a few things here, like our correspondent writes... I think getting 5-6 and ace-deuce to continue are both good things. But I don't necessarily see those as a good thing. Since I don't think that, like, we should be barreling too much here. And I think that those hands are pretty likely to win the pot uh, against our hand. So I'm, I wouldn't be hoping that my opponent had 5-6 here. When I, you know, when you don't have a pair uh, and you don't have much of a draw. Yeah. So I think you're you're basically just hoping to get this hand through mostly on the flop. Some turn cards obviously bail you out like a jack or an ace, but I think other scare cards aren't necessarily like they're cards you can barrel on, like a king and a queen, I think I would be barreling, but I don't think it's like slam dunk, double barrel candidates. I don't think a ten necessarily folds. I don't think five six necessarily folds. And I think uh the king and queen are not terrible. They're not. They're better for your range, but they're not so, so, so much better, I don't think. We've also said that this is a, a fairly loose game, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a hand like queen-jack continue. Although our, our correspondent writes, betting does probably fold out king-jack and queen-jack, which I dominate. But generally speaking, I'm happy to win this hand right now. Of course, any hand with a 10 will call or raise. So, Zach, how, how are you feeling about this bet? I think in these games, like... Unfortunately, you just kind of got to play very straight up with a lot of your your range, and I think here it's just like a losing play. Like I, this this is a good hand against like a different type of player that would make for like a decent double or triple bearing candidate depending on the runout. But I think what's going to happen here is like at least one of the players is likely to have a pair. They're not going to fold on the flop. They're probably not going to fold on the turn, and I think you're you're better off just kind of like check evaluating playing to check fold most of the time. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a nice hand to give up with here. If it was a much tighter game, then I would be more open to C-betting and potentially double barreling. But given that this is a loose game and over like 
over cards like a king and a queen, we're not necessarily going to be able to represent them and get a hand like nine ten to fold. I would just, yeah, I would just shut it down here, personally. But our correspondent, who plays in these games, we do not. He bets $35 on a mount that he thinks will accomplish the above. Only the button the Lions guy calls. His call doesn't automatically narrow his range like it would a tighter player's range. In addition to almost all the reasonable tens and straight draws, it would be unsurprising for this player to call with a one-pair hand like ace-three. Yeah, so to to me, like, his analysis further helps our point, you know? Like, if it's unsurprising that he would call with, like, a pair of threes, and th- and you think about the other players in the hand, I think if you run the math, like, you're going to get called most of the time, and you're not going to have the type of fold equity on later streets that you need to have to make this profitable. Yeah, that's my feeling, too. And I think the turn is, like, an interesting, you know, it's an interesting situation that I think, like, further reinforces our point. The turn, $121, is a queen. Uh, offsuit, perhaps completing the rainbow, although uh, Hero doesn't remember. I don't view this as an especially good card for me, as many of the random Broadway cards that I thought would stick around just made a pair of queens. Also, I'm not sure where I'm at with li- with lions here, so I like to check and evaluate if a bet comes my way from the button. So I think this is a little bit contradictory, I thought that we had sort of established that most of the random overcard hands would fold, although now we're seeing that they might stick around, which I think is, you know, further reason not to bet the flop. But I, I actually see this, you know, as as being a much, you know, a slightly better, if not, you know, quite a bit better card for you. And especially since, like, you think that your opponent would be continuing with a hand like Ace-3, and you just picked up a gut shot, I see this as like a mandatory continue uh, if you think that the flop barrel was, you know, profitable. Agreed. And these are, this is like the trouble, you know, where it's, if you're betting that flop and that, and think that's good, like you, you really have to be betting this turn. Yeah. Like if you're going to bet the flop, the only way betting a flop could be profitable is if this player calls with a hand like ace three and then like folds later on, you know, because if, if he calls with ace three and then like wins, then it's, it's certainly impossible that that bet was profitable. So yeah, I would say that this is for sure a bet. I would feel pretty good about this bet, even if I didn't feel good about the flop bet. But I would say that the fact that you don't feel like this is a profitable spot means that the flop just can't be a profitable spot. So Lions checks behind. In the river, $121 brings an ace for a final board of 3-4-10-queen-ace. Okay, uh, so Zach, what do you what are you thinking on this river card? Forget that we made a mistake and value it. <laughs> My feeling too. Um, could we be behind here? Yes, but I don't think it's it's likely. I think Villain could have a lot of four x, ten x, three x, as we said. Maybe some queen x that decided to check back. It seems unlikely, but possible. And maybe some worse ASEX. So, yeah, there's just... There's a lot of hands that are worse. And we've said villain's pretty sticky. So, I would say let's bet it. So, Hero writes, this is where it starts to get fun. Knowing Lions is sticky and doesn't like to fold, and is therefore likely to look me up with a worse hand than one pair of aces, but maybe not bet a hand like this himself, I like to overbet the pot. 
going all in for $133. So I think that's interesting. I probably wouldn't overbet here. I'd be value targeting a 10, and I don't think this is like... If you really think Lions is that sticky, then sure. But to me, it's not like particularly surprising like if you like have an ace here (laughs) you know and i also think it's like you know you're not bluffing but like villain could have worse and or sorry he could have better and he's always going to call i don't think like he's particularly scared about the overbet so yeah i don't see this as like the best sizing to get value personally i'd rather go for like half pot and and sorry to hamper on this to our awesome listener that wrote in with the great pros, but it's, it's just really inconsistent with the earlier assumptions, you know, like if this is someone that you think is going to call an overbet with, with like a bottom or second, you know, second worst pair, it's not someone you should be trying to get them to fold that pair on the flop. Yeah. Agreed. So, so here goes on to write, I want lions to see this and decide to bluff catch with a pair worse than an ace. Of course, if he has a hand like two pair or a rivered straight, I'm just dead. But in the few mm-hmm. seconds it takes me to make this play, I decide it's worth the risk. Probably wasn't, <laughs> but it led to some fun speech. Uh, this causes Lions to tank, and for quite a while, and to start talking. Let's listen in. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. The first thing Lions says is that he had me on the turn, that he has two pair, and that he can't believe he let me get there. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love when that happens. You're yeah. trying to get someone to call and they have like a slightly better hand than you. And I think this is like also, you know, not to say like I was right, but I think I was probably right that the overbet wasn't getting value from like a 10. Um, yeah, if two pairs considering folding. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're bluffing. <laughs> I'm instantly filled with dread. I just made what I thought was a thin value bet, but now it appears that I just value on myself versus the stickiest player at the table. <laughs> But Lions did not snap call. Because he did not snap call, I decided that I have a small chance of winning and that I can't sit there in silence like I would normally do while Lions talks himself into a call. I must take action. I must do more to project strength. Okay. I actually think that this is, like, a really good idea. I think if you're against a player who's, like, basically always going to arrive at a call, like, it's... You're not risking very much here, the way I see it, you know? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is this is great. So here writes, I must do more to protect strength. I asked Lions if he would like to see one card. And that's really smart. Oh, yeah. I asked him this because I'm not afraid of showing him either card. The ace will reinforce the fact that in his mind that I got there. And so, I hope, will the jack that I rivet a straight. He chooses the ace, which is, I think, the better card. Uh, and can ace use is the definitely tank. the better card. Yeah. yeah. He asked me if I'll show him if he folds. Uh, now I think he actually may fold. He tanks for about 20 more seconds, an eternity, <laughs> and then very, very slowly folds his cards face up. Queen oh, 10. now you gotta show. Queen 10, wow. Two pair, like he said. I show him the ace jack. The moron to my right tells him he got rivered. He didn't. <laughs> and I scoop the pot. He told me if he had chosen the jack, he would have snapped me off. And yeah, that's a risk. I guess that's a risk you have to take in the show one game. Well, usually if you do the show one game, you can kind of pick who uh, who gets to see it. Like like which which card? I mean, you know. 
Yeah, no, I, I yeah, not the show one yeah. game. This is like the other show one game. <laughs> yeah, where like you hand them two cards and just like pray. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, being said, in situations like this, it can it's like kind of like a calculated gamble to do the latter. You know. Yeah, if where... if you think like. <laughs> It's the only chance you have of, like, winning the hand, you know? Yeah, if you think, like, he picks the jack, he always calls, he picks the ace, he folds half the time, like, it's still, I think, a good bet. Because I, I do think that, like, he's probably always calling if he doesn't see that ace. Can't believe he, can't believe he folded it. It's just, a, it's, really a, it's really a horrible fold. Uh, yeah, it's also it's just like one of these weird things where it's like you have a guy that's like so sticky that's probably so used to losing that just like occasionally makes like horrific folds with good hands. Like it's just a very unlikely series of events. Yeah. And you check back the turn. This is weird. Weird hand. Yeah. Weird hand. I'm glad you won. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. Okay. Not much more to say about this from us. Our correspondent writes, I was never expecting to turn my ace jack into a successful bluff, but it worked out. Did the table talk help, or would I have just been or would I have been just as likely to get him to fold his hand without it? Was this essentially a lucky coin flip with him choosing my ace instead of my jack? And uh, yeah, I think our answer is yes, absolutely. It <laughs> It seems like that was the only way you're gonna win. Yeah. And you didn't know it at the time, but you know, you made a semi calculated gamble and it worked out. Yeah. Agreed. And he writes, Thanks guys, the show is great. Uh, thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. Glad you're enjoying the show. Yeah, and that's it. Thank you again for writing in. It's fun to hear about some of these crazy main games. Shocked that, shocked that this worked out, but I'm glad it did. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Jack.